0: Welcome to the Candid Divorce Lawyer podcast, brought to you by Trithowans. Family law can be an emotional rollercoaster, a mix of sadness, anger, hope, and worry. The Candid Divorce Lawyer explores topics from marriage to divorce and everything in between. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is for informational purposes only. If you're looking for legal advice, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us via the details in our bio.
1: Hello and thank you for joining us for this episode of The Candid Divorce Lawyer. I'm James Louis and I'm joined by Rosie Bevan and today we'll be looking at non-molestation occupation orders.
0: Hi James, great to be here discussing this topic with you today.
1: Yep, great here and another exciting podcast we're getting to do together.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, shall we start with what non-molestation and occupation orders are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, we'll first look at the non-molestation order, and what that is, it's an order which prohibits an associated person from molesting a person or a relevant child.
0: Okay, so obviously that definition has got a lot of words that perhaps people may think, well, what on earth does that mean and how is this applicable? So, let's, let's start by maybe breaking that down. So it's an order that stops something happening. What is it stopping happening?
1: Absolutely. I think the key here is molestation, which understandably can be interpreted different ways. But molestation is the harassment, violence or, or threats which you may be receiving from someone. And what this order does is provides you protection from that molestation.
0: Okay, so I think that's really key, isn't it? So the word molestation isn't perhaps what people might think it means um, when looking at these orders. That's that's really important to sort of note from the outset, isn't it? So that definition also refers to an associated person. So who is an associated person?
1: Absolutely. I mean, lots of people come to me saying, oh, I want a non-molestation order, but the key is you have to be an associated person. And there's a list of certain people who can apply for non-molestation orders um common ones are people who have lived together been married relatives etc um, and then that list can be found on on statute
0: okay so not just it's not something that anyone can apply for so say if your neighbor's annoying you you wouldn't apply for a non-molestation order is
1: that correct no no. It, it, it's very specific individuals who, who can apply for the these orders as these are powerful orders which obviously um prevent you from contacting contact with someone and therefore it needs to be an associated person
0: Okay. So that kind of covers the the definition and gives us an explanation as to the background. But it says that it's probably you've said it's there to provide protection for a person. So what what is it looking to do in that respect? Yeah, so I mean the purpose
1: of a molestation order is to secure the health and well-being of, of the person who, who needs the orders. As I said before, these are powerful orders and you know certain people do need protection from harassment or or, or violence or threats of violence so it's important that these orders are there to to protect people
0: okay so in terms of I suppose evidence of the harassment violence or threats so evidence of the molestation in this area what sort of things would lead to somebody applying for a non-molestation order
1: so, I think the court needs to be satisfied that judicial intervention is required to protect the relevant person or, or child. Um, as I said before, the, the the bar is not so high for a non-molestation order. You just need to meet a certain finite amount of criteria for, to 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 obtain
0: it. Okay, and again, with with everything in this sort of area, it's certainly worth taking advice, isn't it, on on that process, which I think we'll come on to a little later, and the criteria that need to be met.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, as I said before, these are powerful orders and, you know, if you're usually seeking one of these orders, it means you need protection from some sort of violence or, or, or threats which you're receiving. And therefore, it is important to take advice as soon as possible. And, you know, it, the, these, the forms of violence or harassment can be in many different forms. And therefore, you know, as Rosie said, take advice from a solicitor who, who specialises in this area.
0: Absolutely. So we've talked a little about non-molestation orders. What about an occupation order? What's that?
1: Now, this is an extremely powerful order and it's where the court can make an order to exclude someone from their home, even if they're a joint owner. And, as you know, that, that sounds pretty terrifying to anyone to who could just receive that order and, and be told to leave.
0: Mm, absolutely. So it's an order where people can be told not to return to their home. Is that right? It,
1: it, exactly that. It's an order where you'll be told to leave the property and, and not to return
0: gosh okay so that sounds quite extreme as well doesn't it so looking at what occupation orders do we've talked through what non-molestation orders do in making that decision what will the court be looking at who who can make that application
1: yeah so as i said it's a bit of a different Test for occupation orders as, as as you can appreciate, the seriousness level of what what the court be ordering is, is is very different. So they're considered the balance of harm test, and what harm would occur to to the personal relevant child if the order was not made. So it, it is a higher threshold and criteria. However, again, if you seek legal advice on this, I'm sure a solicitor will be able to advise you on whether or not you meet that criteria.
0: Okay, so are we talking about associated persons again with occupation orders?
1: Again, that's correct. It's the same um, associated people as it is for non-molestation orders as well as occupation orders.
0: Okay. So in terms of the balance of harm test, is that the only thing that the court will consider or are there other factors?
1: There are other factors. As I said, the seriousness of the occupation order is removing someone from a home. So they also need to consider other criteria such as housing needs, financial resources, what the effect of the order may be and on any relevant child and also the conduct of the parties. I think I think the key ones here are very obvious is is if a person is going to move from a property, where are they going to go and what are their financial resources and that's looking at both sides as to whether you're the one being removed, or you're the one trying to remove someone you need to practically think okay. If this person's going to leave where are they actually going to go because i find it very unlikely court's going to say we are making this person homeless do they have you know family that they can stay with friends they can stay with you know from a financial resource perspective can they rent i mean appreciably it can be difficult to suggest renting if they're already having to pay a mortgage but th- these are things you need to consider when making the occupation order
0: absolutely and i think it's really key to be considering all of these before you even consider making an application Um, And we'll talk a little bit through the application process in a moment, but are non-molestation and occupation orders completely separate? Would you just apply for one? Would you apply for both? Or does it really depend on the situation?
1: I mean, the first point is the situation, I guess. They they are two separate orders and, and, you know, they are sometimes made together, um, but they do do different things. One, as I said, the non-molestation order is to prevent someone from molesting you as said before where the occupation order is actually removing someone from a property um, there are cases where i've had where people have got a non-molestation have tried to apply for both a non-molestation order and an occupation order however any successful with non-molestation order meaning they still live in the same property they usually can't talk or there's potentially something called zone orders which regulates when you can go into certain rooms which is it can be extremely difficult
0: Absolutely. And that's a really good point, particularly where, you know, parties may have children. Quite often we see it where the arrangements to pick up and drop off children where there is a non-molestation order or occupation order will take that into account, won't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, it all the considerations need to be, be looked at here by the court are really important.
0: Absolutely. Um, but ultimately, an occupation order tends to be harder to obtain, would you say, than a non-molestation order?
1: As I said before the the, the, the threshold and criteria is, is is much higher to obtain an occupation order, which can can make it more difficult. I say for for non molestation orders, the courts are definitely more willing to make them on, on on in order to protect people, whereas they will really look at whether they're going to remove someone from a jointly owned property or property they live in.
0: Absolutely. So. We'll come on now to the application process. So how you might go about applying for, for one of these orders. Is it the same process for both? Is it different?
1: Yeah. So this is this is a really common application made by people actually not as solicitors. And you know, and this is the good thing about the podcast is we're here to help help you do it. The first thing is speaking to the court. The application is called an FL 401. I don't want to bore you with legal jargon, but that would be the application you need to make. And that's for both a non-modestation and occupation order. The application itself is actually probably one of the more simple ones in, in family law. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it's very much writing in facts about who you are, where you live, and really ticking the box as to what, what, what orders you're seeking. I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to later about the supporting evidence which is needed with it, but in terms of the application, it, it, is, a, it is a tick box to an extent, um, but obviously we suggest you seek legal advice as there are certain boxes which you tick where, which will have different implications.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, the many of the court forms aren't particularly user-friendly. This is certainly one that is easier to fill out. But if you've got any queries or questions, it's definitely worth taking legal advice before submitting the application.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd say the one key difference which people may not understand is whether you're making the application on an ex parte basis not or not. And again, this is more legal jargon for, for, for me to explain to you, which is basically whether you're making it on an urgent basis that the application, I mean, without informing. The person you're making it against and you want the court just to make a decision then and there and that will again depend on the serious nature of it and whether the court will deem it's urgent or not if obviously for everyone it's different what you believe is urgent or not and therefore it is important to seek legal advice on this however if you're making the application there's no guarantees the court will make the order in particular the occupation order i think if you're making an ex-party application for a non-modestation order you're more likely to be successful obviously fact dependent but if you're making an ex parte order for an occupation order, be be well you know, aware that the court may not be willing to make this as discussed before of the seriousness that you're removing someone from a property which they live in.
0: Yes, absolutely. So ex parte is essentially without notice.
1: Exactly correct.
0: Okay. So once that application form has been completed by the relevant person applying for one of these orders, what happens next?
1: So the key is the evidence which is supplied with it, and I think this is where you really need a solicitor, which is the witness statement, which needs to accompany the application. And a lot of that hinges on how successful an application will be. I think a lot of people come to me and say, oh, I've made the application, but I I wasn't successful. And, you know, that's because there's no evidence. The court aren't just going to make the application. There needs to be a witness statement to clearly explain why you need the application to be made. Um, And this is usually drafted by a solicitor. And I'd say if you are going to attempt to try and draft a witness statement or want a solicitor to help you, the key is detailed facts about what's happened and specific dates. Um, That being said, obviously, I appreciate if you're seeking one of these orders, you're probably coming from maybe a quite abusive relationship. Now, the purpose of these orders are to provide the immediate protection. So what you can't do is, name an incident which happened 10 years ago and expect to achieve these orders there needs to be recent events and that's why I say be very date specific you know if it's happened last week say what date happened last week if it happened a couple of months ago say what happened
0: so when most people think of a witness statement perhaps you know people have seen legal dramas on tv and they refer to maybe one specific incident a witness statement for one of these applications is it always going to be based on, on one incident
1: yeah, the witness statement with these applications are, are crucial because it's the evidence which is provided with the application. As I said before, a lot a lot of people expect the app, the order just to be made based on the application, but you know, as I said, it, it, it's it's fact specific in terms of whether you meet that criterion threshold for both the non-molestation order and occupation order. Um, you know, I would say ne- the witness statement is really where you need to get a solicitor involved to you know lay out the facts as to what's happened, and it, it definitely isn't only one fact dependent depending on on when it's happened the purpose of these orders is to provide the immediate protection to someone and i know when clients do this you know if you're if you're seeking these orders usually you're probably coming from a quite an abusive relationship and it's been you know potentially abusive for the past how many years and it's really easy to get bogged down talking about things you know 10 years ago five years ago And, and these things do matter but the key is the immediate Events which have happened. So usually there's one key event which has happened, and that's the one which really needs to be detailed down. If there are multiple key events which has led up to it, then be date specific. Provide specific dates. The worst thing you can do is be really vague, and you know it it can affect whether the court decides to make the order. Be if it happened last week, say the exact time, date, etc. is when it happened. Don't focus in ten years ago an event which happened, and of course include it in your statement. But make sure the key is, and you make it clear the key recent incident which has occurred.
0: Absolutely, and it, as you say, it's really important for these statements to be specific and factually correct. Actually, because they are the evidence.
1: Absolutely, and the, they're 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 relied on in the future. So don't think, oh, I've just made that statement; they won't be brought back to. It will be brought back to, and that's why I say from the outset, if you're thinking about making this application, get a solicitor involved. Get you know, get them to help you draft the statement, as you know, it's going to be key. And I'm sure we'll discuss about what there are hearings in uh, during this process but it does get brought back don't think it just gets put to the bottom of the pile because it definitely doesn't it will be relied upon you need to be consistent with you know the facts you're saying any inconsistencies can lead to your credibility and whether what you're saying is credible because usually unfortunately is a he said she said point of view
0: absolutely and these applications are quite often quite fast-paced aren't they so it may be that you're seeing a solicitor and this is getting drafted up and submitted to the court very quickly is that right
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's as said before, as Rosie said, if you're making it on the next parte basis, you're usually making the application that day or the next day um, because, you know, it needs to be urgent, but it still needs to be drafted correctly. It needs to be factually correct because usually what will happen is, and I'm sure we'll talk about it at at what the next steps are, but that statement will be replied to. So, again, you need to make sure that it's factually correct, even though I appreciate the essence of speeding this, just read it carefully and make sure that it's factually correct.
0: Absolutely. So, in terms of you've got the application completed, you've got a witness statement ready to go. What happens next, James?
1: Well, you'd usually submit to the court then, depending on what type of application if you're making. If you're making it on an ex parte basis, usually the court will hear it either that day, depending when you make it, or the next day. Um, you may be called into a hearing. However, I've, what I found is from COVID, judges are sometimes just making the orders without even having to be in front of you. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's done for, I guess, speed efficiency, but also that really comes back to how effective the statement is. And again, the importance of getting a solicitor involved to make sure it is correctly laid out, or if you're doing itself, as I said before, making sure that, you know, you're showing recent instance and being really specific in that statement as to what's happened and why you need these protecting orders.
0: Absolutely. So we've talked then about if you're the applicant, the person applying for one of these orders, what happens if you're the respondent? So what happens if you're served with these papers?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it's, it's difficult, firstly. I mean, how awful do those words look if you've got something saying non-molestation and occupation orders being made this day? It It, it is very upsetting, can be very difficult, especially if you didn't see it coming either. Um, I think the first thing to do is look at the paperwork, see what orders have been made. Because um, as I said before, they may have only applied for a non-molestation order, they may have only applied for an occupation order, or they may have applied for both. See what orders have been made, and then make sure you comply with them. I mean, it, it's difficult to give concrete advice right now on this because there's so many different ways it could have gone. The judge could have decided the application has been made, but I'm not making the orders, or I'm making the orders now. Um, but if if the orders have been made then and there, make sure you comply with them. Read what they carefully say, and then seek legal advice. I know that if an order is made, you don't agree with it, the first thing you want to go do is talk to that person and say, no, I don't agree with it. And you you must comply with these orders. If not, you can be arrested by the police. So, and also it will affect your case that you've already breached the order straight away. So comply with the order, seek advice from a solicitor. That's the best next steps,
0: I'd say. Absolutely. And in terms of, you said about, you know, not breaching the order, what sort of things will that order include?
1: So if it's a non-molestation order, usually it'll include not, harassing pestering the person who's made the application not you know trying to make contact with them um it, it's a lot it's basically don't make contact with that person do it through a solicitor who can then sort this out for you um similarly for an occupation order if the occupation order is made you will need to leave your home unfortunately and i appreciate how upsetting that that could be but you need to comply with the order just be aware that if the order has been made and I think this is a common misconception. Everyone thinks, oh, that's it. The order's been made. It's, it's only been made on an interim basis till everything can be fully decided as to what should happen. So if the order has been don't think, oh, this is it. You can fight it. You just need to co- temporarily comply with it until it can be worked out. You know, what's happened? Is this order needed to protect this person or not?
0: Absolutely. So that's really good to, to understand the differences between making that application and also receiving that application because both... Areas can be really stressful can't they for the client involved
1: yeah it's diff- it's, it's 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 really difficult for for anyone receiving this and, and difficult for person making i mean as i said these these aren't simple Does just you made you know it, it can bring out lengthy proceedings so be aware if you are making these applications it, it is going to be lengthy and there is going to be hearings and i'm sure me and raised will talk about that in a minute but you know make sure you're prepared for that but at the same time i appreciate people you know need these need this protection you know we we see these cases and it's really difficult and you know th- that's why these orders are there
0: yes and as you say it's not an overnight fix is it the court isn't going to make these orders that it you know already deems itself to be archaic and and very strong without then taking further consideration of that so that that's really good to to know from the outset isn't it So we've talked about what happens if you make an application or receive an application. What are the next steps once an application has been made?
1: So now we're talking about the hearing. So you will need to go to court. I mean, the court are doing things in many different ways. Firstly, I mean, with COVID, everything's been by telephone or, you know, on a computer. Hearings are now being brought back in person. So make sure you read the order carefully, see where the hearing's happening, see whether it's attended or by microsoft teams or by telephone it can vary now at the moment um the first hearing most likely be directions hearing and that'll be deciding you know how, how do things progress matters forward and i think this is the importance to have a, a solicitor involved who can advise you on how you can settle matters a lot of people don't want to go to court and would rather just settle things then and there what i find in most cases is someone's made non molestation order against them and that person has no intent of trying to contact them at all and going through this Court process is not cheap. So there is a potential to try and settle matters at an early stage. And I'd say they're done by two ways, which is one, something called undertakings, which are promises to the court that you basically won't do the things in the order. Um, If you breach that, you can be held in contempt of court and sent to prison, Um, but it's a lengthy application which we made. The other option is to settle things by agreeing to the non-molestation order with nerd admissions. Basically means you're saying, I'm not going to do any of these things, so I agree to the non-molestation order, but I don't admit to what the allegations are being made against you. Again, the problem with that is if you were deemed to breach the order, you can then be arrested. So these are two you know, options to try and settle matters then and there. If not, the next steps, as I said, would be to prepare for a final hearing. And usually what it will be, it will be a response to the initial witness statement and as I said before that's why it's key that the initial witness statement is so factually correct as it will be dissected by a solicitor I'm sure as to what's exactly happened and whether it's correct Um, and usually other things maybe need such as police disclosure if the police has been involved then you will most likely need to obtain police disclosure to see what the police said's happened and your solicitor will probably be saying that they need that in order to give you further advice as to whether or not you'll be successful
0: You've talked about undertakings and maybe perhaps agreeing to have the order in place or if the order is imposed by the court what are the implications of breaching each of those so firstly an undertaking what remind us what the the the, uh, the implications are of, of breaching breaching undertaking given to the court
1: so if it those before the undertaking is a promise to the court if you breach that undertaking you can be held in contempt of court and sent to prison or fine um, I think the reason why sometimes I try and advise my client is to agree or sorry, settle matters of undertaking is it's not as easy to enforce as a molestation order um, and it's not as overbearing um, and if, if you did breach it then that person would have to make an application to court for your, your contempt of court and application for your committal to prison um, and that's quite a long process, again it's costly and they have to provide witness statements and so on.
0: But also it gives the, the person who has made the original application that security, doesn't it, to know that actually they've made a promise to the court. And if they don't follow that promise, then there are implications for them ultimately.
1: Oh, absolutely. If you breach the undertaking and they make the application, you'll contempt the court and you, and I've seen this and that you have been found to breached it, you will be in an application for a committal to prison. It, it is still serious. I mean, it doesn't provide as much, provide or as much instant, immediate protection in terms of what what could happen in terms of you being sent to prison or arrested straight away. But if you do breach this and you have been found obviously to have breached it, you can find yourself in a in a hearing for your committal to prison. It is still serious, absolutely. I think why people don't agree to it is the immediate protection that if you did breach it, you can't get the police involved straight away. They'll be saying that you need to make the application to court. Whereas for a non-molestation order, you can say the police has breached it and they can arrest them straight away.
0: OK, so, yeah, it's definitely worth knowing the, the differences between those two. Now, if an order is made, whether that's by consent or at a final hearing, how long will that order last for?
1: Usually they last 12 months. I'd say with undertakings, you can be a little bit more flexible in terms of what you want to try and agree. But with 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 orders, usually they last 12 months. Usually you'll find that if you agree to the non-monestation order in their admissions, it will last from when the order was initially made for a year
0: okay and what happens if say when that order is coming to an end so in 12 months time um perhaps they're concerned about that behavior coming back up again um they're concerned about not having that protection in place
1: yeah i mean look, again it's the same criteria threshold if, if that behavior happens again or it's breached then you can li- li- seek the court to you know extend the non modestation order and um, or to apply for, for new one depending on the case or if you need to apply for an occupation order at that point um, but, you know, usually we find that in in some cases, if if it's for a non molestation or both parties just need to go their separate ways. I think it comes a little bit more complex when there's children involved, but I'm sure there'll be a further podcast about children.
0: Absolutely. So ultimately, these are orders that are there to protect people um, and can be applied to the court for in certain circumstances. And I think where people are in those situations where emergency action needs to be taken then it's certainly worth speaking to a solicitor so they can advise you on the thresholds um and the application itself
1: yeah definitely and what what i'd say is that if if you can't agree things at directions and you go to final hearing either to contest it or to you know to in keep it in force you know final hearings are are not nice i think it's final hearings are probably the most thing like tv what people think lawyers do where You'll Be in a courtroom, you'll have a barrister cross-examining you in a witness box, and it, it isn't nice. And I'm sure Rosie will say knows this as well. It it is very, very ruthless. They, you know, and that's what comes back to your evidence being correct. They will a barrister will go to your witness statement that you did maybe six months ago, say, You said this, but you're now saying this. That's wrong. It, it you know, they will pick apart every little bit, and it's it's not a nice process, and it lasts a long time throughout the day. So be be aware that if this is going to final hearing you know it it it's not a simple oh I just sit there and the order's made you know we'll be cross-examined and it and it is ruthless
0: but ultimately it's there to put that protection in place which is really important isn't it
1: oh absolutely if if, if you know if the order needs to be made it's being attested then you need to seek to what you need to go towards the final hearing you just need to be aware that you unfortunately won't be able to show away you will being asked questions and asked to say things
0: absolutely and your solicitor and ultimately barrister will be there to guide you through all of that process so i think it's really important to to appreciate that when something does happen that leads to one of these applications being made it's having that team and that support around you isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know you're you're in a difficult position if this order is having to be made and you need that protection and i'd say you know we haven't really touched on barristers but the final hearing is when you're going to want a barrister you know i would say for other hearings, you can potentially do it on your own. It'd be better if you had legal representation, but I appreciate from a cost perspective, some people may not be able to. Um, but if you were going to get a barrister and you were saving for one, the final hearings when you need one, it you know, it's very difficult cross-examining, and that's you know, barristers' daily life. They do that all the time, and they're very very good at it. So that's when you want a barrister. And I think it's worth bringing up now that you know you may, if you're having to make these applications, you may be entitled to legal aid, um, and that. Also, you may want to consider direct access to a barrister, which basically, not trying to cut us out of a job here, Rosie, but it's, um, it's a way to you know make things a little bit cheaper um, going forward. And obviously, as legal aid, it'd be free. I'd say recent, I recently had someone who came to me and said, oh, I was told I wasn't legally entitled by someone who wasn't a solicitor. Go speak to a legal aid firm. They need to tell you that. You know, we unfortunately don't offer legal aid here, but it is a complex area in terms of whether or not you're entitled. So go speak to a firm which offers that
0: absolutely and as you say it's about being aware of your options isn't it so direct access can be an excellent opportunity for those who are either making the applications themselves or can't afford further legal representation and can't get legal aid to ensure that at that final hearing they have the right representation in order to to get the result that they need
1: yeah definitely and the, and as I said i hope with anything this podcast helps you know these orders are there and they are needed people need protecting it you know it's it's just the case unfortunately and that's why these orders then they can be made very quickly and unfortunately a lot of people feel left thinking I can't do anything there's nothing I can do well the, these orders are here to help and you know we're here to help as well um me and Ray's already previously spoke about you know a first appointment with solicitors in our previous podcast so you know again seek an initial appointment from a solicitor speak to someone get the advice in terms of what orders you can achieve
0: Okay, well, it's been great to discuss non station and occupation orders with you today, James. Thanks for listening today. hope you join us again soon for another episode of The Candid Divorce Lawyer.